0: For several weeks I've been I've invited you to pursue studies with me about the power of God. And I said at the very beginning that we would see the culmination of the power of God on Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to speak this morning <clears throat> about the cross. Not that it's not important, but there is so much brutality there that I think today, I want to focus on that one step beyond the cross. Jesus, of course, suffered horribly. And I can only imagine those that observed and were there and were part of that, that night, that probably that was something that they would felt that they would never ever forget, and rightly so. But when we talk about the cross, we have to talk about the brutality and the the wickedness and the horribleness of it. And if the story ended there, we would be like those we're about to read about this morning we would have broken hearts, we would have fearful hearts, we probably, I'll speak for myself, I would have a guilty heart, doubting heart, if it had stopped at the crucifixion. But we're gonna pick up this morning, three days after the crucifixion, and see what God through his power had in store for all of humanity. You know, there's a a scripture we all know, for God so loved the world. This morning I'm gonna look at it in contrast. What I would like to do is I would like to contrast the two, what I call state of affairs. The one is that there was an expected closed tomb, but the day begins to where we see an unexpected empty tomb. And from that, I want us to look at, I would like to look at the significance of of the empty tomb for those that were there. And then also in conclusion for us, what is the significance of an empty tomb? tomb uh, for us today. I'll be looking at several characters that we can follow in the scriptures that were part of that first day Uh, and from that I will look at, we will look at where they were emotionally and spiritually, where they were when they expected the tomb to be closed and where they ended up, when they realized that the tomb was empty. all right? The first reading will be Mary, John 20. In fact, this is, uh, I guess, the text. This is at least a springboard where I can start. Mary Magdalene, we know we know of her. She had that life that had been radically changed scriptures say, and so does history, not only biblical but secular, most likely she was a prostitute. Most likely she had all kinds of issues uh, emotionally and physically and things uh, spiritually, certainly. But one day she met a man called Jesus and he healed her and her life from that day on was radically changed. And we find Mary at this morning paying homage to someone that she loved deeply people have tried to i think wickedly portray it in a different way but i think that it was she just loved the person that helped her i mean she just loved jesus because he salvaged her life there's something that is very stark about going to a graveside or going to a tomb. Final. All we're able to do, if you've ever stopped and thought about it, is when you stand before a graveside or a tombstone, or in this case, as they were to go to where the stone was rolled over the tomb, you cannot think forward. You find yourself only thinking backwards. Memories, regrets, wishes that I had said this or done this for someone. So the tomb, they expected, Mary expected, the disciples expected, they expected the tomb to be closed. That necessarily meant they would only ever able to be looking backwards. But this day their life was going to look forward. Here's the reading. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, who was John, and said to them, They they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple Who was going? They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, came to the tomb first. He, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him. He went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. That's not what they expected. But let's look at Mary as she came to the tomb. What kind of condition was she in? In other words, had the tomb, if the tomb was not empty, let's say the tomb was still closed, what do we have? Mary had a broken heart. She just had a heart that was just, she could not put into words how she felt, the loss of her teacher, the loss of the person. In fact, we are told that that, uh, as she's standing there and Peter and John leave, the scriptures say this, Mary stood outside She stood outside by the tomb, weeping. We've been there. There is such a stark brutality to the grave. But it was not the case that the tomb was closed. The tomb was empty. So what does that mean? Well, we have that as the scriptures continue. She stood outside the tomb weeping. She wept. She stooped down and she looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. She still is thinking about the closed tomb, the, the open tomb, but the Lord is not there. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you've laid him, and I, I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said, Rabbi. Standing at the tomb when she first went, even expecting that the tomb would not be open, she was, as I say, brokenhearted. She was grief-stricken. She was sorrowful. All the things that, unfortunately, we probably know. But because the tomb was empty, her heart, just then, was healed. Because it's the very words that the Lord said at the very beginning of his ministry when he stood up in the synagogue one day. And he announced to all the people why he had come. And this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He met Mary. Had the tomb not been empty, she would have walked away broken-hearted. But because it was empty, she walked away with a healed heart. That's the significance for Mary. Then we find on the same day, Luke 24, we find it was on the same day, um, there were two disciples. They were going to a town called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, meaning the crucifixion, the brutality, the murder, all of these things, everything that had happened. And then finally, they were talking about that someone had taken the body of the Lord. So it was that while they were talking and conversing and reasoning, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, like Mary, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you are having with one another as you walk and you are so sad? And one called Calapas said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that have just happened? Jesus said, What things? The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. But how that the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. They crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day. And then, they told Jesus, certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early, astonished us. They could not find his body, and some were even saying he was alive. As they were walking, then Jesus says, oh, you foolish ones. You're slow of heart to believe and understand Uh, everything that the prophets have spoken of. So as they began to walk, they drew near to the village of Emmaus where they were going, and Jesus indicated that he was going to continue. But they stopped him and they said, stay with us, abide with us, for it's, it's toward evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And so it came to pass that he sat down, they invited Jesus to sit down, still not knowing who he was, to sit down at the table He then took the bread, Jesus did, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and then he was gone. They immediately ran back, and as they were running back to tell the disciples what they had just uh, observed and encountered, they were saying to themselves, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us, had the tomb not been empty, they would have still been sad, burdened, confused, just like they were on the road. Had the tomb not been empty, if the stone had still been on the tomb, these disciples would have ended the day and began the next exactly the same. Depressed, dejected, despondent, with a great, great cloud of darkness over their heart that they did not understand. However, the tomb was empty. And because of that, they also discovered that the resurrected Jesus Christ was able to alleviate and to... Help them in their darkness. So that was another one. Had the tomb been closed, there would have been no change in them. And perhaps they would have lived all their life wondering about questions and, and puzzle of everything. And just never, never really got an answer if the tomb had not been opened. But it was open. And so all of that, that darkness was laid aside because of the presence of Jesus. The third one that I want to look at are the disciples. On the evening of the same day, book of John, we find, of course, in the morning, we've seen Mary. Then toward the afternoon or evening, we see the two two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now it's evening, it's dark. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear for the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. If the tomb had not been empty, the disciples, in fear, in dread, afraid for their lives, that had been evident already. They had scattered, they had denied, they had betrayed. So had the tomb not been empty, if the stone was still there, this is an indication of how they were going to live the rest of their lives in fear, in dread, not wondering, I mean wondering uh, what they should do or where they should go, but the tomb was empty. And because of that, Just at the height of their fear, the door locked, it's night, the windows are closed, no one can see them. Jesus comes and stands among them, and here's what he says, peace be with you. Now, the contrast is this. Had the tomb not been open, they would have no peace, probably for the rest of their lives. Perhaps they would have gone another way. I don't know. But because the tomb was empty, Jesus there came there and he alleviated their fearful heart. So here we've seen already that because the tomb is, is, uh, is empty and the presence of the Lord, he's able to heal the broken heart. He's able to help the dark heart the one that's depressed, he's certainly able to help the fearful heart. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of what Jesus himself had said a very early one. He says, you know, the light shines in darkness and the darkness just does, does not comprehend it. But I'm the light of the world, he said. And he who follows me or believes me shall not walk in darkness. Mary had been walking in darkness because she didn't understand. Then she understood. Then there was light. The disciples on the road to Emmaus were walking in darkness in their heart, and their mind, of everything that happened. But because when they were in the presence of the Lord, he removed that darkness. And they then, they said, enlightened us. We understood then. The disciples were in the darkness literally at night in, in, the, in a room, locked doors, afraid for their lives. And yet we know that Jesus showed himself and said, peace be with you. I'm sure that the disciples there in that room that night could remember some of the things that Jesus had said. Early on, Jesus made this very simple, powerful statement. Do not be afraid, only believe. I'm glad that the tomb was empty, personally, as I'll get to here in a little bit. The scriptures tell us that we should not fear. I'm sure that they could also remember, even on the, the great Sermon on the Mount, and how he taught throughout his ministry, that our value to our Heavenly Father is even greater uh, than, than the sparrows, and he, and he knows every hair on our, on our head. Therefore, we should not fear. We should just simply believe. So the disciples felt better that night. But there was one disciple missing, Thomas. Now, Thomas was one who, throughout the ministry, had been very courageous. Thomas Didymus. We call him Doubting Thomas, but that was not his real name, Thomas Didymus. Didymus means twin. So we think, we, had a, we think he had a twin, but we're not worried about his twin. I want to look at Thomas. That night with the disciples, Thomas was not there. And the reason was, it's been speculated, but the reason was he just simply did not believe that Jesus Christ had been resurrected. He had been told, he had heard reports, he had heard of what Mary had said, he had heard of what John and Peter had said, and now he heard of the disciples. And and what he said is, he, he says, when they said, we have seen the Lord, Thomas, he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Oh, that tomb is shut for Thomas. Now think about this. Thomas was a disciple, had walked with these these men for three and a half years, had listened to the Lord. Yet, when Jesus was crucified and the finality of the tomb was finished, the stone was rolled over, Thomas actually, we think, began to withdraw himself from those around him. Those he had walked with for years. He didn't feel at home anymore. He didn't feel comfortable. He wasn't with the disciples the night that Jesus showed himself. His doubt was driving him into a life that he was unfamiliar with. He had believed for three and a half years. In fact, it was Thomas, uh, crucially, who is the one who asked the Lord, Lord, how can we know the way to where you're going? And Jesus says, I'm the way the truth, and the life. It was also Thomas who was willing to go to Jerusalem and die with the Lord. But something happened. Something changed. He didn't want to be around the disciples. He didn't want to be with everyone else. He didn't want to be in that room with them, and so he wasn't there. But a week later, we find the scriptures give us insight. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, but Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said again, Peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas. He said, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. All Thomas could say is, My Lord and my God. If the tomb had not been empty, Thomas would have lived probably the rest of his life in doubt. We've all been there. Sometimes, and some of us, it was earlier in our lives. We think we've got rid of the doubt and then all of a sudden, somewhere else in our lives, we begin to feel doubt again. We begin to look more at tombstones rather than we do the promises of God. But here's the thing, because the tomb was empty, his doubt was removed. And so in that, we've seen Mary, her heart was healed, The disciples on the road to Emmaus, their minds were alleviated and they were enlightened. We see where the disciples were full of fear. Then they had no fear because the Lord was alive. And then Thomas had doubted to the point that many began to think that he was going to remove himself. But then when he saw the Lord, he realized, no, the tomb is empty and the Lord is here. And all he could say was, my Lord and my God. We're beginning to see, I think, the significance of an empty tomb for them. But I'm getting to us here in just a minute. The final one I want to look at is Peter. If you recall, Peter was probably the most boisterous and verbal of all of them, all the disciples. But yet we find in Peter's life and in Peter's account, we find where, as it's been said, he was human. He fell. But not only did he fail, he ended up shouldering that failure on his his heart and mind. We know what that's like. You drag it along throughout your life, a heart of guilt, a heart of shame you drag it along, you can't do anything. No matter how much good you do, you're still bothered by that guilt and the shame of something that you've done or how you've lived. Well, I contend that if the tomb had not been empty, Peter was destined to live the rest of his life that way. Why do I say that? Personal experience. I know for a fact that we all are destined to live the lives that we have lived no differently than we have lived, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who makes a difference. Here's what the scripture says Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way, he showed himself. One day, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, those that were with him, well, we're going to go with you also. So they went out, got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. When the morning came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Here's a footnote for each of these characters. There are many times that the Lord is walking with us and we don't recognize him. He's there, though. Whispers to our heart guides our feet if we'll just but listen. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered, No. And he said, Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and then they were not able to draw it because of the size and multitude of the fish. Therefore the disciple John yelled, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had moved it, and he plunged into the sea. It's not the first time. He plunged into the sea another time when Jesus was walking on the water. And he said, come. And Peter had no hesitation. Lord, if it's you, I'll come. And he went. Again, we find him plunging into the sea. The other disciples came in the little boat. They were not far from land, but they were dragging the net. As soon as they had come to land... Jesus had prepared a fire of coals, fish, and bread. Jesus says, come and eat breakfast. There's safety in numbers, I think. You know, we can get lost in a few people. When we're the only ones standing somewhere, we feel conspicuous, do we not? And especially, we sometimes would call that uh, paranoid. You know, if we've done something wrong, we think everyone is looking at us. But there's safety in numbers. And we find that Peter is among a few of the disciples. I would feel safe. I would feel all right. Jesus took the bread, gave him fish. And then after they had eaten, the scriptures say, Jesus looked or said to Peter. Now, again, in a footnote, this is not the first time that Jesus looks Peter square in the eye. And this is, I think, gives us an idea about this. Remember Peter had said, Lord, even if everyone else departs from you, I'll die for you. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat and I tell you, before the night is over, you will deny me three times. Well, Peter didn't believe it until that night. And on that night, we find Peter in the midst of the portico, watching them lead Jesus uh, by soldiers to uh, be indicted, as it were, uh, to be uh, convicted, to be crucified ultimately. But Peter was, was falling, the scriptures say, a way off. He was, a, he was just a way off. He was close enough, but not next to the Lord, but he could see everything that was going on. And so he was standing there, warming himself by the fire in the portico, which would be much like this. Imagine in the portico of the temple, you had all these surrounding areas, and in the middle was a large open area. And they had fires going along there, and Peter was over here, and they were leading Jesus down this way. And after the, the rooster had crowed, the, you know, crowed, And Peter had said one time, then two times, and finally the third time when he was confronted that he knew Jesus, he kept saying, no, I do not know him. I don't know who he is. And finally he cursed him. At the moment he cursed him, the scriptures tell us something very heart-wrenching to me. Peter was there. I don't know him. And he cursed him. At that moment, he looked across there, and he saw Jesus. And the scriptures say, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter then remembered the word the Lord had spoken, and he went outside, and he wept bitterly, a guilty heart, a heart. So here later, we find him on the side of the seashore. He feels safe in numbers. He's talking to the other disciples. He's giving them fish and bread. Maybe I can get through this day. And all of a sudden, he looks at Peter again. And it's interesting what he says. He says, Simon, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, well, then feed feed my lambs. But then he asked him a second time, he said, he looked at him, Simon, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I I do love you. The third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you really love me? That broke his heart. That broke Peter's heart. He said, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you and then the Lord said feed my sheep whatever failure Peter had done was just wiped clean just taken care of so here's my conclusion on this with these characters these individuals in each case had the tomb not been empty They would have had to live their lives with what they had. Grief, shame, fear, brokenness, which to me brings me to the question regarding us, which I said we were coming to. What should we believe about the empty tomb? Not can you believe, but what should you believe? Well, let me throw this out. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ has been resurrected and lives today and walks among us, as he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there. If you don't believe that, I will say with fairly certain confidence, you may live the rest of your life with a broken heart. You have nothing to look forward to but but a despondent life without the Lord fearful heart if you live in fear, a doubting heart if you've always doubted, or a guilty and shamed heart. If you don't believe that the Lord is alive, that's what we have, because that's what these had before they realized and saw the Lord was indeed resurrected. Truly for us today, I'm convinced that as I have said he is, the Lord is the good shepherd. He made his way to talk with Mary. He made his way to talk with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He made his way to those frightened disciples. He found Thomas, even though it took another time. And he ultimately talked with Peter and said, I I still want you to feed my sheep you love me. Jesus still to this day, because he is resurrected and because he lives, he still makes his way to people like us who are lost in brokenness, who are lost in guilt, we're lost in fear, we just are lost. But as Jesus says, he said this, and I, why I believe he is this, Which one of you, he said, having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, you leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and you go after that which is lost until you find it. And when you find it, you lay it on your shoulders and you rejoice. Each one of these this morning we see rejoicing. They rejoiced when they saw that the Lord was real. For us today, here's what the Lord said at one of the last things he told his disciples. And it's, I think, for us today also. I will not leave you comfortless, the Lord said. I think that's very true today. I will come to you. I believe that with all my heart. No matter what stark lives we have, no matter what we've encountered, no matter what, we do not have to live that life Why? Because he lives. And the scriptures tell us, because of that, he is able to save to the uttermost anyone who comes to God through him. Because now, he's not in the tomb, now he lives forever to make intercession for anyone who comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power that brought him out of the tomb. And it is the same power that you've promised to give us through following him. I pray today, Lord, that our hearts would be uplifted by the fact, by the belief that Jesus Christ was resurrected and lives today and moves in our hearts and beings. I pray today, Lord, if anyone is here who has a need that no one has been able to meet, I pray that they would stop and recognize that the Lord can help them because He lives. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close. What page, Ed? 279. Page 279, we'll sing this morning as a church congregation. We sing one verse. If you'd like to come and pray, please do. You can pray in your pew. It doesn't matter. The Lord will find you as we sing.